0: Everybody welcome. Good to have you. Welcome to the kids. Having you guys in here for a holiday weekend. Always good to have you. Welcome to our guest. Everybody here. Everybody online. Hope you can join us uh, in person here real soon. We're one church in two locations. Show up either at Trenton or Allen Park. We'd love to have you. So uh, we're taking a break from the Gospel of John for a week, but we're still talking about Jesus. So uh, how many here... Really enjoyed science class when you were a kid. Let me see a hand. How many science people? All right, I didn't. I didn't get into it at all when I was young, but the older I got, the more I really loved science, because I saw how much it pointed to God, how incredible and awesome God is. Now in school, you really didn't learn a whole lot about God, right? Because you learned about the laws of nature. You learned about naturalism, but you didn't really learn about the limits of science. You didn't learn about supernaturalism. You didn't learn about miracles. That miracles are beyond science, beyond what's natural, beyond our ability to do or even to understand. But if there's a God, then isn't it reasonable to expect that He would intervene in nature from time to time and do something that is beyond or above the natural, that He would temporarily suspend natural law or make exceptions to it. Why? For the purpose of revealing himself. To show only God can do that. It's impossible for us, but it's possible for God. Because you think about what really is nature. Well, uh, people still today talk about mother nature. They almost imbue nature with this divine quality. And really that's just an old school paganism and pantheism that sees uh, this spirit within the elements of nature. People in ancient times would worship aspects of nature, the the trees and the the mountains and the rivers and the sun and the moon and the stars. In fact, they would attribute each element of nature to a particular god. You would have Egyptian gods of uh, rivers and vineyards. You would have Greek gods of uh, what... uh, Orchards and trees and Roman gods of planets and It was just a way of of trying to point out how incredible everything is but we understand That our God the God of Abraham and Moses and Jesus is not in nature or part of nature He is above and beyond nature. He's outside of it Today people still can treat Nature as if it were almost a divine thing and for some environmentalism is like a religion I mean they give it sacred status but God alone controls the, fortune, the the forces of nature in fact going all the way back to the Hebrew scriptures the prophet Jeremiah writes it is he God who made the earth by his power who established the world by his wisdom and by his understanding stretched out the heavens and when he utters his voice there's a tumult of waters in the heavens and he makes the mist rise from the ends of the earth he makes lightning for the rain and he brings forth the wind from his storehouses so God is God of both the natural and the supernatural realms some would say well how can you believe that kind of stuff if you believe in the laws of nature how can any intelligent person believe in miracles well <laughs> very easy because our God is the one who put the laws of nature into motion they're his laws, and he can violate them anytime he wants. I mean, nature is not a closed system. God is able to intervene in nature anytime he wants to and to violate the laws he created because he is not a prisoner to his own laws. Now that's not that's not anti science. That's just recognizing the limitations of science that it can only deal with what is material and observable and repeatable, right? This is outside the realm of scientific study. You think even about the virgin birth. You know, it's a natural human birth when you have a mother and a father involved. I know people still talk about how the birth of any baby is a miracle, but it's not. It's not. It's just natural. But there was a supernatural birth. It was the virgin birth of Jesus Christ where there was not a human father involved now only God could do that but we think today actually aren't virgin births possible through IVF treatments and implantations I mean you you could have that happening the miracle wasn't in the birth because Jesus came into the world like any baby emerging from his mother's womb the miracle was in the conception he was divinely conceived of a virgin, and only God could do that. That was the whole point of it. So what happens is scientists often get out of their own lane and talk about stuff they really don't have any business talking about because they give us all these philosophical speculations that end up being anti-God and anti-supernatural. I mean, just think about all the things scientists really don't know. All throughout history, science has not known everything. They, they, They didn't know a lot of things existed until the invention of microscopes and telescopes Now they know way more than they used to. And think of all the things we don't know now that we will in the future through further discoveries of what God has already put into nature. I mean, think about all the science fiction that we come up with. Well, science fiction often has a way of becoming science fact, eventually, doesn't it? But the point of the few miracles recorded in the Gospels is that only God can do that, they have evidential value which is why there's so many of them around the time of Jesus because people were questioning, who is this Jesus guy? And the miracles pointed out that he must be God. I mean, there's really no explaining the appeal, the the influence and the impact of Jesus apart from him being a miracle worker. That's what drew people to him. That's what attracted crowds were the miracles. And that's our big idea, is to trust in Jesus because he can do what only God can do. Jesus performed a whole bunch of miracles. Most of them, though, were healing, which we saw on the previous holiday. He didn't really do a whole lot of other kinds of miracles that were recorded. When we're talking about his power over nature, the few that he did seemed to have a lot to do with water and with fish. We're going to look at those today. Now, his first miracle had to do with water. He turned water into wine. We already saw that. in in a previous message, so if you've missed any of those, go back and watch them online or listen to the podcast. But a couple more miracles involving water are on the Lake of Galilee, where he walks on the water and when he calms the storm. Then we get into the fish miracles, five fish miracles. First, he feeds a crowd of 5,000 with fish and loaves, and he feeds a crowd of 4,000 with fish and loaves. Then he has fish swim into a net a couple of times and has a, a coin miraculously pulled from a fish's mouth. And then finally, you see the withering of a fig tree. So we're going to look at all those stories today. But I want you to notice that none of these are really that fanciful or flashy. I mean, if he was just doing it to to get a wow factor, he could have, you know, moved a mountain. Like, that was possible. He could have done that. Could have turned the sky purple. Uh, He could have, you know, flown through the air or literally made it rain cats and dogs. I mean, all kinds of... Crazy things to make people be in awe. He, we saw him turn water into mo- wine. Wouldn't it be awesome if he could just, like, turn vegetables into candy? That would be an awesome miracle to... Or at least make broccoli taste like chocolate. That would be <laughs> wondrous. But no, he, he's not into playing those kinds of wow things, those mind games and freaking people out with magician tricks of sawing somebody in half or making somebody disappear. I love, I love watching those video clips and shows of magicians revealing their secrets, right? Magicians are never supposed to tell you how they do their tricks, but you can go online, you can find these these folks who will expose all the incredible planning that goes into these tricks and the behind the scenes elaborate, specially made props and the actors and the clever camera cuts and you think okay well is that what jesus was doing way back then he was just way ahead of his time and he was just a very uh, a slick magician with a bag of tricks fooling ancient gullible people well no we're not we're not talking about ridiculous stories and superstitions that were related from long ago and far away and nobody had ever seen it no these were recorded by eyewitnesses right on the spot who had seen it written down shortly thereafter and i know those people back then were not as sophisticated as we are today, but they weren't stupid either. When they saw a miracle, they were just as shocked and skeptical as we are, and a lot of them didn't believe. But the point was to give evidence. These were signs of the inbreaking of the kingdom of God, to point out Jesus is who he claimed to be. He made a lot of radical claims to be God, to be Messiah, to be uh, um, uh, able to forgive sins. He, he talked about judgment day and heaven and hell, Well, how do we know what you're saying is true? Well, look at the signs. Look at the miracles. In fact, all of that culminated in his resurrection. But the thing about these miracles is they weren't so overwhelming that they took away people's freedom to choose to believe. I mean, there still had to be an element of faith because he doesn't want to force anybody to believe. He wants you to choose to have faith. And his miracles, again, were not just a big wow factor. They were based on his nature and purpose. They were always... Uh, kind of uh, acts of compassion, of mercy to help people, to meet needs because that's the kind of kingdom that Jesus is bringing. So let's look at his first uh, miracle over nature when he's calling disciples to follow him full time. Again, this involves water and fish. The background of this is that Jesus is on the shore of Lake Galilee. There's a crowd gathered around. He gets in Simon Peter's boat. Goes out on the lake because uh, that way the crowd can see him better and they can hear him better. There wasn't any amplification, no microphone, so the water would would amplify his voice. Luke chapter 5 says, When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Well, Master, we toiled all night and we took nothing. But at your word, I'll let down the nets. And when they'd done this, They enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled their boats, both the boats. So they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish. I mean, this is never seen anything like this. Such an incredible haul. So were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, two other disciples that were partners with Simon and Jesus said to Simon do not be afraid from now on you'll be catching men and when they had brought their boats to land they left everything and followed him so if there was one thing Peter was an expert at it was fishing that was his livelihood he knew where to catch fish and how to catch fish and Jesus comes along not a fisherman trying to tell him how to catch fish which come on I mean it's it's Kind of insulting in a way, right? Sounds silly. Peter didn't want to do it. I know better than that. But okay, whatever. You're master. I guess I'll do what you say. And of course, they bring in such a large haul of fish they'd never seen in their lives. It wasn't luck. It wasn't coincidence. It was a flat-out miracle. I mean, guys, this is like Aquaman stuff. This is Jesus talking to fish, telling them to swim into nets kind of stuff. That's how incredible this is. I mean, they had already looked on him, as, this is a great man, he's our rabbi, he's our mentor, he, he, maybe he's a messiah, he's a great prophet, but now they're seeing that he is definitely more than a man, that this is God, because this is only something God can do. This is also more than a miracle because it was an object lesson. That was, that's the way Jesus did a lot of miracles too, to teach something. You're not just going to catch fish from now on, you're going to catch souls. And That's our call too. Now, I should point out that this happens a second time. Same kind of miracle at the end of his ministry, after his resurrection. In John 21, he's again standing on the shore of Lake Galilee. And half his disciples have been out all night fishing again. They've caught nothing. John 21 says, Jesus said to them, children, you have any fish? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, well, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some so they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. So many if they counted it up; there were 153 fish. And Peter, of course, this time recognizes who Jesus is, jumps into the lake, swims to shore, while the other disciples bring in the boats with a large haul, and they have grilled fish for breakfast. And it goes on to say, now, 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 this time, none of the disciples dared to ask him, "Who are you?" because they knew it was the Lord. This was only something God. Could do. And that was the purpose of miracles, to confirm who Jesus is, his identity, his authority, and his glory. Okay, on another occasion, he got into another boat on the Lake of Galilee. Mark 4. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Well, let's go across to the other side of the lake. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling but he was in the stern asleep on a cushion because he's exhausted he realizes he's gonna have to travel five miles across the lake to get to the other side and hey these guys are, are seasoned fishermen they know how to sail a boat they don't need him but even these guys are in a panic because they the boats are starting to sink all the water pouring in and they're not the only ones all these other boats a lot of people are in danger right now like where are you Lord they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? Right? We feel that way about God many times. Like, Lord, where are you? Wake up. I mean, I can handle the small rainstorms in my life, but this is a major squall, and I've I got my hands full, and i got nowhere else to turn. Lord, do something to help me. Where are you? And, and I think we would be more at peace if we just began to realize that becoming a Christian doesn't mean we don't go through storms. We do. Uh, we're not promised cloudless skies. We're not promised smooth sailing. We'd be spared a lot of disappointment if we just realized the Lord is in there. with. He's right in the boat with us going through that storm. He didn't promise to exempt us from the storm just to protect us through it, protect us from the trouble. Now, so does Jesus care even though I'm in the storm? Of course. goes on. And He awoke and He rebuked the wind and He said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was great calm. And he said to them, why are you still so afraid? Have you still no faith? Come on, they'd seen him do a lot of cool things. They'd seen his power over disease, over demons. But this one really tested their faith because this affected them personally, right? I mean, we're in trouble this time. But look, if they had only trusted the words of Jesus because he had already said, hey, let's go over to the other side of the lake. He didn't say, hey, let's go out in the middle of the lake and drown. He, they should have trusted they were going to make it. That's why he could sleep. Because he knew they were going to make it. They're in the Father's care. Today, you've got people worry about all kinds of natural disasters and nature and climate change and all that. And, and people naively believe that we can control nature. We can't. How, how incredibly arrogant to think that we can ever control nature nature. Only God can. Not us. He's in control of his nature. Now, we can be the best stewards of nature that we can be. He's entrusted it to us. But come on, we can't take God's place. He'll always be in control. Mark 4 goes on, they were filled with great fear. They said to one another, who then is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. Only God can do that. That's the purpose of miracles, to give evidence, to reveal Jesus. And they thought, not only does he have power, He cares. He's watching out for us. And even though in your life He may not calm the storm, He can calm you through the storm. He can give peace and courage to your troubled soul for whatever you're going through. He's in the boat with you and He cares. Now a little later in Mark's Gospel, uh, we find the only miracle that's recorded in all four Gospels. Only one, which is the feeding of the 5,000. And again, He is a in a boat. <laughs> He's on the lake again, sailing to a place where thousands of people have already run ahead to meet him there, and they gather, and he begins teaching them. Mark 6 says, When it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, Well, this is a desolate place. The hour is now late. Send them away to go into surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. So they're, they're out in the middle of nowhere, uh, there's no restaurants there's no markets and so the pressure is growing for all these hungry people who need some food and Jesus isn't the kind of guy to, to teach them all day long and then send them away hungry he says you feed them what what you how, how would you expect us to do that Lord I mean do you understand how much this would cost and even if we had the money I mean, where are we going to go to pick up thousands of takeout meals? Even Domino's doesn't deliver out here. What are you asking of us? <laughs> and so, this is a logistical nightmare to feed 5,000. And really, you know, it was customary back then just to count the men. So, who knows how many women and children were there? So, it could have been 10,000, 20,000 people. It goes on in Mark 6 and they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, Well, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, five and two fish. That's it. Well, then he commanded them all to sit down in groups of, on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, said a blessing, and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Now, guys, this is a, a one-of-a-kind, unique miracle. This is the only time we ever see Jesus create matter out of nothing. I mean, that's something only God can do. And uh, they have plenty of, of leftover. I mean, there were 12 baskets, right? So I, he doesn't tell us the mechanics of how he did this, but it seems to be the miracle taking place in his hands and, and putting, probably putting all that food in the baskets, and then they take the baskets around and collect up a bunch afterward. Doesn't matter. Only God can do that. And it was more than an act of just filling up the bellies of hungry people. It was more than just physical provision. This was about spiritual provision because the next day to the same crowd he'll begin teaching about how I am the bread of life and you need to receive me spiritually as you received the physical bread yesterday. But people being what they are uh, weren't interested in that. Instead they tried to force him to be king so that he could continue providing free fish sandwiches and all the other goodies. But Jesus refused that kind of kingship. Now, we're going to be exploring that miracle uh, next month in John's Gospel. But then Jesus does it again, just a couple of chapters later, with the feeding of the 4,000 men plus women and children, with seven loaves of bread and a few fish. And they collect up seven baskets afterward. Only God could do that. And it shows that he cares for us, he provides for us, we can trust him now another miracle we're going to explore next month in John's gospel is Jesus walking on the water and this takes place immediately after the feeding of the 5,000 so boom boom two big nature miracles here immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida and while he dismissed the crowd so they're out there by themselves Jesus is on shore and after he had taken leave of them he went up on a mountain to pray and when evening came the boat was out on sea He's alone on land, and he saw that they were making headway painfully for the wind was against them. So there's a miracle right there. He's, he's seeing them out on the lake, and, and he's not anywhere near them. So he goes out, and then about the fourth watch of the night, somewhere between 3 and 6 a.m., he came to them walking on the sea. Now, he meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and they cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them, and he said, Take heart. It's I? Don't be afraid. And he got into the boat, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. Only God could do that. Another time, he showed power over nature, involved yet another fish. This time, uh, they were coming around to collect the temple tax, and they approached Peter and say, uh, you know, does your master pay the temple tax? Now, of course, Jesus being God, being creator, being king, should be exempt from any tax because everything belongs to him and it's his temple. But he says to Peter, however, not to give offense to them, go to the sea, cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you'll find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. The only God could do that. I don't know the mechanics. I don't know if Jesus made a fish swallow a coin or if he already knew that a fish had swallowed a coin. Either way, it's pretty amazing, right? One more, finally, in his final week, Matthew 21, in the morning, as he was, no fish or water involved in this one, by the way, he's returning to city, to Jerusalem. He became hungry, and seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but leaves. And he said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. Only God could do that. Now, not only was this also another object lesson, to point out the need of of faith, asking God for great things. But it was also an object lesson It seems to be against Israel itself, that Israel was fruitless like that tree. They were not producing the works that God expected and instead were only full of empty ritualism and legalism. And they would wither up and the nation would die off as well as Jesus brings a new covenant. So all these miracles over nature must have been astounding for people to see and I'm like oh man I wish I could have saw him uh, seen seen, seen these incredible things he did and why can't he still do them today why can't God more clearly give us these kinds of signs today I'll tell you why because he doesn't need to the whole purpose of them around the time of Jesus was to give evidence of who Jesus was to verify him to validate him as the son of God and that's already been done culminating again in his resurrection we don't need any more signs to show that he is God God is not going to endlessly perform miracles to validate Jesus. Again, He wants you to choose to believe, to have faith, not be forced. So again, trust in Jesus because He does what only God can do. He he said, only a wicked generation looks for signs. If we're always looking for miracles, then there's something wrong. And He says that... um, you know, I could I could do signs all day long, every day. And there will still be people that won't believe. There were people back then that saw all these kinds of signs, and they still chose not to believe. So go ahead, God, do a bunch of signs today. People will still write it off, blow it off. Well, that didn't happen. That ain't real. That's a trick. That's whatever. They'll excuse it. And that's why after his resurrection jesus said to doubting thomas have you believed because you've seen me blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe that's us and folks jesus is coming back and it might be today we don't know but at that point there will be no choice left you will be absolutely compelled to believe you have no other choice but to fall to your knees and declare that he is lord but until that day God respects the free will that He's given you to make your own decision. And He will not come in with such an overwhelming show of force, of revelation that you have no option but to believe and cower in submission. No, He he wants you to choose to believe, not be forced to believe. So that's the invitation He makes to you. And we're making the same invitation now to put your trust in Jesus. He is who he claimed to be. He proved it. Repent of your sins. We've, we've got people here who can help you take your next step of faith. Whether you're online, you can text or you can email. If you're here in person, you can come up while the music plays in the next few minutes. Talk with some people we'll have ready to answer your questions or to pray with you or to get you ready for your baptism. We're ready. We, we baptize people every week here. There's no reason to delay it. We don't wait for a special day. This is it. Today is the day of salvation. Maybe you're like, I don't know where I'm at with all this yet, because I'm kind of a doubting Thomas too. Uh, I'm just checking this out. I'm still not sure. Okay, well, your next step at least would be to come back next week, because we're still going to be talking about Jesus as we begin a new section in John's Gospel, chapters 3 through 6, we're calling Jesus in 4K. And it's going to start off with uh, one of the greatest stories in the Bible. Now, I'm I'm not going to be speaking for the next few weeks. I'm, I'm taking some study break time. I'm not going anywhere. I'm just going to take a little bit of break time, vacation time, do some other planning things and projects, but I wish I could... I could and when I plan this out, man, I wish I could have done this message because it's John 3 where Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he says, you must be born again. You need to be here and, and invite some friends for that as well. Now, if you're not a believer, then the next few moments are just going to be a quiet time for you to chill and, and think and pray and reflect, but... For those who follow Christ, this is our communion time. You come in each week. You get the cup that has the juice and the bread in it. And um, these are our reminders of who Jesus is and what he came to do because the bread reminds us of his body given for us on the cross. The juice is blood shed for us for the forgiveness of sins. Now, there's nothing um, supernatural about those physical elements of wheat and water and grapes. Nothing sacred about the physical elements themselves. What's supernatural about this is the meaning behind them, what they point to. So, if you'd like to share in this time, let's pray together. Father, we we first want to thank you for the freedom that we have in this nation as we're, we're celebrating the birthday again, and how this was a country uh, founded on belief in you, that you're the creator, you're the ruler and uh, that all of our rights come from you not from man not from any government lord and help us not to take for granted the freedom that we have just to be here today to gather and uh, to to have uh, the ability to to speak freely to to pray to worship because there are so many around the world who don't have those freedoms who are under oppression and tyranny and uh, persecution god and Help us not to take that for granted, but to make it a priority to exercise our freedom to worship. And yet, Father, we're living in a time where people are uh, I don't, turning away from you, it seems, more and more. Our country drifting away from recognizing you as being King and Lord. Where we've grown so secular uh, that uh, we, we need awakening. We need revival, Lord. Uh, we know this is a republic that was made only for a moral and religious people who can self-govern because we honor and respect your laws, God. I pray that you would help us to to be that kind of people. Um, Lord, I I pray that uh, you will continue to make yourself known and uh, that we would see your power as you provide for us, as you calm us, through, uh, through storms and through problems, God, as you continue to give us evidence, uh, to trust you. Lord, I pray for those who have yet to make that decision. And we're grateful that you never force us to do it, but I pray that you will move on them to convict them, to compel them, Lord, to make the best decision of their lives and follow Jesus Christ as a disciple because we pray it in his name. Amen. And So uh, if you have a decision to make, come up in the next few moments. Otherwise, stay where you are. Share in communion. If you have young kids, then just let this be a time where they can observe and you can tell them what this is about.